Welcome to Broken Shovel Podcast, homesteading for a sustainable future. I'm Lily, co-host and producer. I'm joined by co-host Lucas, and our Hello. guest for uh, this week is Larry Darrow. Hi, nice to meet you all. Hey, Larry. Uh, so today we are talking about homesteading. Uh, uh, we are going to sort of define homesteading here very quickly. Larry, you are in the L.A. County area of California, Southern California. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm in the the, the city of Los Angeles in a small little town slash city called Tahunga. Okay. Uh, and you are an urban homesteader. Uh, I'd like to, to fashion myself after that remark, yes. Okay. Well, and so something we do on the show is that we define what we're talking about. And basically, traditional homesteading and urban homesteading are two different approaches to living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Traditional homesteading traditionally occurs in rural areas with large plots of land, while urban homesteading adapts these principles to fit smaller spaces uh, balconies, rooftops, community gardens. Uh, and would you would you find yourself aligning to to that as an urban homesteader? Uh, I would say so. Uh, we do have a little bit of land here. Uh, if anyone ever does wish to take a little bit of a history lesson on Tahunga in itself, it actually started as a homesteading community, and people had you know ten, fifteen plus acre properties and lots, and then over time. As the homesteaders grew old and people didn't take it over, they ended up subdividing those plots and they became smaller track homes. Oh, okay. So uh, about how much space do you have? Uh, I want to say, and I I remember looking this up before, uh, we have about 500,000 square feet on the outside uh, in the backyard. Okay. That's actually pretty significant. Excuse me. Yeah. 5,000 square feet. (laughs) Yeah. Lily, can you look up how much that that factors out as acreage, uh, just so we can kind of get an idea of what Larry's working with here? Uh, So you do grow in in your backyard in a pretty harsh area uh, as far as water is concerned. You do have an extended growing season, but is is water an issue for you uh, where you're where you're uh, uh, working on this? Uh, water is not an issue for us, and particularly, uh, we actually harvest quite a bit of rainwater every single year. Um, okay. Our roof, between our, our roof and a detached garage, we're able to get, uh, let's see, my cistern is about 500 gallons, and then I have nine 55-gallon uh, barrels uh, situated around the house. And we're able to fill them up every off-season, and through that, it, it's able to help us get through the summer season. Wow, that's amazing! And and are they all like daisy chained in a way, or are they are they separate units with separate captures? Well, the cistern connects to the two main units that handle most of the watering, and the other ones, which are kind of like overflows, those are daisy chained in succession with each other, so that the water okay. can then you know basically as one fills up, it goes to the other, and then so on and so forth. Right, that's awesome. That's that incredible so for that area, um, and so. I did look up the acreage, and it is 0.11 acre of land. So almost two. (laughs) Almost two. Uh, Which Uh, I think is incredibly lucky for for an urban urban homesteader. 
I know a lot of properties similar in Brooklyn and Astoria have similar acreage. Um, uh, how do you find navigating what to plant in such a small area? Well, for me, I like to run things seasonally, uh, especially based on what's going to give me the largest yields within a, a small time frame. And then I also combine indoor gardening with the outdoor gardening, as well as a vertical system that I've kind of put together. Uh, we have very big raccoons here. We have a ton of coyotes. So I actually built a, it's not a greenhouse, uh, but we call it the greenhouse uh, with a lot of uh, chicken wire and, and two by fours and whatnot. And then that's where we kind of grow our things uh, stacked uh, vertically. And we don't, when we really just favor the foods and the fruits uh, that we eat, you know, most often. Did you, so uh, referencing a podcast that we were both on, uh, the point of it all, did you uh, take any of Eric's, uh, our other co-host advice about uh, deterring these critters by, you know, just taking a leak around the yard every once in a while? <laughs> you know, oddly enough, this is gonna this is gonna come off weird without me actually explaining it. But uh, I'm very uh, aware of urine and how well it works. Uh, so I will urinate. I'll make sure my dog urinates in that area all the time. And then every now and then we'll get cougar, coyote, or even wolf urine. Sometimes we'll kind of spread it around. Uh, but okay. we're, but our house we have a, a very large elm tree. And there's been a family of raccoons living there for, I want to say, 10, 15 years. So they Probably. just don't care. <laughs> they just don't care. <laughs> like, they have their route. They take their route. Yeah, <laughs> raccoons are, are a whole other thing. Uh, so. yeah. Well, I think that's a, a really good point to bring up is, is like rural homesteading, it, you have a certain amount of crop loss to the elements and to deer and raccoons and, and to everybody around you. Um, and I think that's a great similarity, even though they're very different animals, deers and raccoons, you still have that um, crop loss, I'll call it. No, definitely. Yeah. And I account for that because I look at it as that's a part of me giving back to that ecosystem or even having a home in the area that it's in, because it's not a very natural thing, but it's what we need to do you know, and nowadays to, to have successful lives. So I, I definitely attribute that. It's, uh, it's funny. I, <laughs> uh, uh, Eric has a like one third, one third, one third rule that he basically pulled from, uh, weed farmers in the Pacific Northwest that you're only going to get one third of what you plant out of it. Like you're going to lose a third to, you know, just loss, just, bad conditions things just don't take off and you're going to lose a third to uh the natural area and the 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 critters so to speak uh you're just going to lose all of it <laughs> i'd agree i'd agree with that wholeheartedly you know if you don't account for loss and i find that in just about everything that i do you know you're not accounting for you know even you know potential bad scenario versus the worst or best case scenario and I kind of like the yeah. overall basis with that. And then again, I just feel like it's kind of what I owe because the land is giving me, you know, tomatoes. It's giving me basil. I feel like a portion of that is owed back to the land, which helps reinvigorate my soil and things along those lines. Well, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a very animistic sort of approach. The, the, um, uh, the whole picture sort of, sort of thinking, 
you know, uh, we try to do a lot of things at my homestead uh, to that that continually cycle back. Uh, what in an urban homestead do you have that that can keep cycling back? Like, are you seeing? I mean, what's what's your compost game like? All right, I have uh, two types of compost that I do, and I'm actually getting ready to start a third, which is going to be a little bit more of an experiment. Uh, but the okay. two that are active now is I have a worm bin, so I have mealworms, uh, Europeans, and European big reds, and then you just like standard night crawlers that are in a bin that I've made out of, uh, it's not pallid wood, it was an old fence uh, that was made from redwood that I was able to kind okay. of fashion that out of. And uh, what I've done in there is all of our food scraps, you know, that are, because we predominantly eat uh, veg, a plant-based diet, all of that goes back into there. And even when it comes to bones, you know, if we have meat or whatnot, uh, I have a food cycler that I'll heat it to a very high level so the bones become brittle. I break them up. Half of that goes into as bone meal for my dog food, and the other half of that goes back into that compost bin. And then I, I switch between the worm bin and the standard compost bin that I have because uh, they're kind of both side to side with each other. And then I kind of feel them alternative, like alternating so that I constantly have you know fresh compost kind of available. Wow. I'm trying to remember what the process is called for uh, meat composting. Uh, shoot. I'll, I'll get to it. Um, so, we, um, oh, yeah, yes, Lily. Um, no, Lily, I just, I, I just... um, my brain went to your dog and because I love animals, um, does your dog primarily eat a, an entirely raw food diet? Uh, it's a combination of the two. Uh, to me, I was initially like really big on the raw food thing, but then I got a little nervous and worried about the fact that there were certain nutri nutrients that it was really difficult for me to account for without having a more laboratory setting at home. So what I do is it's a combination of he gets a quarter cup, because he's fed twice a day, he gets a quarter cup of dry food. And then outside of that, that dry food is mixed in with a ton of raw ingredients. And that's everything from apples, carrots, celery. Uh, he loves uh, green lip mussels. I, I like to put that in his food as well. And then also there's a broth that I make and that I mix it all into so that the food's not super duper hard. And he loves it. You know, he's a he's a he's a hound shepherd mix and he can't get enough of it. <laughs> I make my dog's food, too. It's it is uh, usually just chicken, whatever we can get at the farmer's market and then just. Uh, root vegetables primarily uh he, he's become a problem because of the root vegetables he will uh <laughs> dusty will actually pull a carrot out of the ground and eat the carrot <laughs> and leave the top <laughs> like, i've watched him do it i know it's not another critter my dog loves carrots See, but this is just part of getting giving back to the land is also giving back to the dogs <laughs> like, this is... i agree i agree <laughs> Giving back to Dusty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my dog does the well, same thing, by the way. And he loves uh, catnip. He loves it because, like, we have a little uh, area where we grow all our different mints. And he gets yeah. in there. And I know it's really good for the, their digestive tract, so I let him go for it. But he gets into that all the time. He loves it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it keeps the, the straight cats away, I guess you could say. So. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. perfect. Well, we have a cat, too. And... Uh, 
they one was raised by the other. Dusty raised the cat to say, and uh, it's a very similar situation. They eat the same food. They, you know, uh, the cat can't eat the rat or snake that it found. It brings it back for the dog. <laughs> it's, it's a whole disaster. Uh, I mean, it's just a whole ecosystem <laughs> happening on your homestead over there. Just everyone's given back to everyone, and that's kind yeah. of what homesteading is about. So what what is your primary uh, motivation, I guess, uh, uh, to put it simply, in urban homesteading? Like, why did you and your family take this step? Well, for me, initially, it was from having a predominantly plant-based diet and just looking at the amount of just refuse and waste. And it just kind of made sense to me that if it could be used to be put into something so that you can get something out, it just seemed to make sense to me. I I personally don't really have like a a great story about it other than the fact that I, I kind of look at all life as equivalent and equal. And it just allows me to, I guess, to, to take responsibility for what I do to the world, because I know that anything I do that is beneficial for the world helps benefit not just myself, but those around me. And anything that I do that's detrimental to the world has the same effect. And I want to leave this planet with more good put in than bad. So how do you find that plays out in a community in an urban area? Like, I know, like, there's less than 700 people in my town. We are very (laughs) close-knit in not always the best ways. Like, I detest some of my neighbors. But, like, I'm, I, I, I am absolutely there for them, and I know they will be there for me. But how does that play out in a, a urban homestead situation? Are you, like, are you involved in community gardens or anything like that? Like, how, how does it work? At the moment of, of us doing this recording, there is no community garden here. Uh, but that is actually something that I plan on doing because I've noticed that a lot of my neighbors are very active and the local civics of our neighborhood. And that's something that now I have a little bit more time that I can devote to that. So that that's something I would actually like to push. Uh, I, I think that growing up, like I've always been a part of the city, you know, unfortunately, yeah. but I had great grandparents that had a farm in Arkansas. So I'd go there summers, I'd work the farms and then like, I'd see things living and dying and having to experience, you know, taking something to the slaughterhouse or doing it myself And I think that allowed a little bit more perspective for me. And I think that if most people understood where their food came from, how it was produced and how harmful, you know, this factory farming, these factory animal houses are, I I think that that would kind of change the opinion of a lot of people. Because now most people think that the only way that they can get food is from a grocery store, which to me is insane because grocery stores is a relatively new concept to us all. Yeah. Yeah, even though oh, one of my favorite pieces of trivia and, and Lily, I, I can't see you, but I'm sure you're rolling your eyes. But even like pig, pig, like Piggly Wiggly in the South uh, had to like sort of force people to learn how to use shopping carts in the late 50s, early 60s. They had to sort of trick people into using shopping carts so that they would buy more, uh, you know, for, uh, at that point. But um, so anyway. Lily, I know you have questions and I keep rambling. Well, no, I mean, I'm just, I'm also in in an urban environment. I'm in 
the heart of New York City. And so it is honestly, I, I don't have the space for any garden. I don't, have, I have space for two air plants and I'm, I'm keeping those air plants alive <laughs> with everything I got. But um, for someone who is in such a super urban environment, I go to farmer's markets and I try and, and shop in um like in that environment except for in the winter time it is a little more difficult to do that because i am in a (laughs) in new england um would you say that similarly to new york city that someone in los angeles would have a hard time like new york city or uh honestly i think that that depends a bit um, my okay. wife and I, when we were in our early stages of our relationship and just dating and we had moved in together, uh, we were in a small, like, one-bedroom apartment. And what we did was, like, we couldn't grow as wide a variety as we do now. But there were a couple of things that we really loved. Like, we really loved basil. We put in a lot of different dishes. The same thing with parsley. So we used windowsills. So I made window boxes and, and created, like, refractories so that the light could bounce off, it, off of it at certain times. And we'd be able to kind of reuse a lot of the herbs, you know, that we were purchasing at a store, get, you know, four or five uses out of it before it actually had to be put to pasture. Um, I think that wherever there's a will, there's a way. And I do believe it's possible. But I mean, this is now me having the perspective of having to, to try and struggle through all these things, you know, for the last like 15 years now. It's wow, it's odd when I say it out loud, but <laughs> the last 15 years or so and finally wrapping my head around it. And also, I'm not sure how the farmer's markets are in your area, but in our area, they, they're not what they used to be. A lot of the farmer's markets now are commercialized, and so you'll have, like, literally a Ralph's truck, you know, dropping stuff off, but they'll put it in a brown sack or they'll put some burlap on it. Now, all of a sudden, it's, you know, from someone's local farm. So it's, uh, it's difficult to, to know what you're getting here, at least from what I've been privy to uh, in my lifetime. That's super unfortunate. Um, luckily the farmer's market that I know very well is still very much local, um, upstate New York to New Jersey, um, farmers. Um, but that's really unfortunate that like the bigger brand companies have come and kind of taken and kind of inserted themselves into the farmer's market. Um, but yeah, so I, I travel so much. That I haven't had time to start with basil or parsley, but um, I did used to have uh, a basil plant that I like took everywhere with me and <laughs> had fresh basil and it was phenomenal. Um, okay. Yeah, we just uh, we just got the announcement uh, for the uh, uh, ninth annual, I think, uh, open farm. Uh, in Vermont here, where farms basically just open up for a week. And there's uh, there's classes, there's pick your owns, there's all of these things that you can just sort of go to the website and look up what farms are are near you and are participating. And I think it's like seventy something farms, which is really a drop in the hat. But um, you know, so we get this. Uh, you know, we we do have the farmers market experience. I participate in farmers markets both as a uh, uh, consumer and a seller. But 
so I'm, I'm obviously biased. I think they're great. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh. and I don't see any grocery stores in, in our town, but, uh, it's, um, it's really exciting here to, to see those sort of, uh, bursts of farms sort of all just working together all of a sudden, especially, uh, now after the floods, most of the, uh, most of the money's going to helping, uh, a handful of farms that really suffered. So that's actually really nice. Uh, we have stuff like that, but it's usually for like wineries or some kind of like drinking <laughs> events. <laughs> well, and, and so, and as we're kind of, we're kind of closing in on our, our time frame for one of these bonus episodes, but you, you, Larry, you have a, a podcast that's coming out that is very community focused from, from your descriptions. Is that, would you call it that? Definitely. Uh, I think one thing, especially here being in the city uh, where we have 700 people on our block, uh, I think yeah. that there's a, a large disconnect that occurs from that. And with the amount of fear that is being pumped in the media nowadays, and I don't even mean just in the news. I mean, in the, even the, the music we consume or the TV shows we watch, it's so fear based that everyone kind of shuts off and closes off from each other. And I just wanted to have an opportunity for two people of dissenting opinions to discuss and talk things out and then find out where they do agree on things. Because I do <laughs> believe that homesteading, you know, in particular, is something that applies to everyone. Because if you're trying to save money, it's a much better way to eat better food and not spend as much money while you're going to a grocery store, going to a restaurant, you know, to get a, a $15 tomato, you know, so to speak. Well, and, and, and you know, uh, this is all, there's also the potential fallout of how that mass produced tomato plays out in your medical bills uh, down the line. But, you know, that's just my particular high horse. <laughs> <laughs> that makes two of us. That definitely makes two of us, you know, like if, uh, we in and out is probably the last, you know, restaurant that I go to. And, mm -hmm. and that's like once every couple of months. And even there, when you have one of their tomatoes, you can, it just tastes like water versus it's if you, not a tomato. Correct. <laughs> so correct. It's not a tomato. <laughs> it's, it's really not like th those, like it, I don't go to places like in and out, but I, it's not a tomato, <laughs> or and it's Lily, not lettuce. Lily, you should know this for the next time you're you're up this way. Um, Meg has perfected the homestead in and out burger. My wife, Megan, is from California. Uh, you know, spent a lot of her formative years in England, which gave her a different approach to gardening. But oh my God, she makes in and out burger every once in a while. I hated In-N-Out Burger before she made it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to have to get that recipe. I I've tried it a couple times, but uh, most of the time we do it with either elk or bison. And it's just kind of... Oh, yeah. And I don't like to oversalt my food, so it's just missing that extra five pounds yeah, of salt. Yeah, no, you, know? you need like a 70-30 protein to fat mix. <laughs> it's a whole thing. We do it twice a year. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> so... <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Uh, but yeah, but eating like that and, and living like that just doesn't doesn't agree with your mindset. Is that is that accurate? Agreed. And I think that a lot of what we put into our bodies is going to be indicative of what we put out into the world. So if we're eating, you know, traumatized meat or if we're eating, you know, low nutrient vegetables or fruits, I think that plays out in the terms of malnutrition that comes out as anger or rage or just 
someone being aggressive in general because their body's missing something versus like when mm-hmm. you're full and you're satiated with something healthy and, and actually filling, you just seem to be in a better mood. You know? Agreed. <laughs> I, I 100% agree. Being surrounded by grumpy New Yorkers every single day. I 100% agree. No, I, I think what we put into our body really definitely um, is what we put out into the world, if that makes sense. And, and our energy and, and what we put out into this world is definitely something that we put into our plants. Okay, so if you have a positive energy putting your plants in the ground, the energy from the plants is going to go back into your body and it's going to be this beautiful cycle as I hold like 20 crystals in my hands. Well, um, that's why I have six <laughs> very specific plants in my garden. Uh, so, so your podcast though, Larry, is going to be called Civil Discourse. That's correct. Uh, and you expect it to come out in the next few weeks? That's correct. I just finished building my uh, studio. I mean, it's relatively loud around me right now because we live not too far from a fire station. And for whatever reason, whenever I'm on a video call, my dog likes to start howling. But I mean, I've pretty much heard nothing, so it all seems to work. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, my uh, lawn is screaming at me. <laughs> um, I don't have a lawn. Uh, but it, so, and back to what you were just talking about, though, the podcast is going to be about sort of over overall wellness. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm a firm believer that, uh, and it's, it's funny because I'm on the uh, right side of, I guess you would say the political spectrum, uh, right? Definitely closer to the center. And what that does is I'm a big believer that we owe, and that's not just to the world, but also to ourselves. So in the morning, I make sure I get a, a good stretch in, in the afternoons or in the evenings, I make sure I get a sauna session, a workout, then jump in the cold plunge. And it's just squeezing all those things into my day. It, it really kind of puts me in a, in a mindset to where it's instead of looking like oh, I have to do these things versus I owe this to myself, it kind of feels like little victories. And then those little victories become big victories throughout everything else we do in life. And I think allowing people to see that versus the the being on the couch or playing a video game all day and or even just you know being online or on YouTube or something versus actually being active in their own world. Um, it, it'll allow them to, to start, allow us, excuse me, to start connecting a little bit more. And I think that's an important thing that we need as humans. I mean, it's, it's something that we haven't grown out of because it's in our DNA. That's how I feel about forging. And I, I absolutely, uh, agree. Like I, I don't care for mushrooms, but the uh, sort of ritual of every day going out and hunting for mushrooms and hunting for berries and, and doing these things with, with, you know, my dog and my lovely wife, Meg is just a a moment of, of connecting to everything. Agreed. I mean, I don't have the opportunity to do that in my area, unfortunately, but I do grow mushrooms and I'll tell you, I'll agree. I am not a fan of any type of mushroom, whether it's reishi, (laughs) whether it's a lion's mane or, but there's something I consume every single day because I understand how good that fungi and that mycelium is good for my body. So I just, I do it. <laughs> you know, nice. I do it. 
I'm a mushroom <laughs> lover. I'm the odd one out. I love mushrooms. I will eat any yes. mushroom anytime. I love mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 next time you're up, uh, hopefully it's still during season, Lily, because I, I think I texted you earlier. We've gotten close to a pound of chanterelles in the last yes. two days. And, like, we're selling them as fast as we can, but, like, I can't, without a specific license, do that at the farmer's market. I guess I could be like, hey, if you want to donate something for these <laughs> chanterelles that you're too lazy, <laughs> and I might try that, but, uh, uh, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, uh, how... Thank you so yeah, much, how... Larry, for joining us. Um, it's been great. Uh and I feel like we all can learn a lot about uh, just urban homesteading and just really putting the effort into doing it. And no matter where you are, you can do it. I would agree with yeah. that. And one thing I would say is uh, there's quite a bit of uh, resources on YouTube that have self-watering options, especially uh, if you have a small area and you want to do like a deep water culture system. A lot of that stuff is focused on cannabis. However, it does apply to many, many other plants. And you can grow just about anything in a five-gallon or two-gallon bucket. So it is something to keep in mind. You don't have to make sure you're touching it every day either. Yeah, container gardening and uh, aquaponics. And uh, we're going to be looking a lot uh, in a future episode about, you know, indoor growing and things like that because uh, it's very important to Eric. Uh, so uh, hopefully we can have you back after the launch of your show, uh, which is Civil Discourse. Uh, so when you like completely blow up on that podcast, don't forget about us. Okay, man. Like, you know, we're, we're just here, Lily sitting on the street, uh, begging for money, but, uh, we are here. <laughs> no, I, I, for me personally, I mean, establishing relationships is something I'm relatively big on. And especially with like-minded individuals, if I have an opportunity to discuss, to discuss homesteading, that's something that I'm very passionate about. It's not something that I do because it's work. It's something I do because I love it. So the opportunity yeah. to, to discuss that, I don't think there's ever going to be a time, you know, if, you know, the, all the greatest things in the world happen and I had, you know, <laughs> a million followers or whatever they call that, you know, like I'll definitely still talk homesteading because I'll always do it. I'm never going to be in a high rise somewhere. As a matter of fact, I'm going to try to convince my wife to go to Montana and we can have our farm. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's the way to think. Get away from having to run away. Just run away once. That's Correct. what Meg and I did. We just ran away once. <laughs> That's what I would like to do as well. <laughs> well, Larry, thank you so much. Uh, Lily, uh, anything else from you? No, it's been a pleasure. Um, it's been so great having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And like I said, anytime you are open to having me on, I'd be more than happy to be a guest. It's great talking with you all. Absolutely. Thank you.